0: And if you're like most people, your life is full and is busy. And because of that, sometimes we don't like stop often enough and think about stuff that matters a whole bunch. Instead, uh, we just kind of try to survive every day and then we get to Sunday and it's a way to reflect like, hey, I survived a whole week again. Uh, and we're reminded of that. But not often enough, probably stepping back and asking big and important questions. Questions like, what am I doing here? Questions like, why did God put me here? Questions like, how long should I stay in this place doing this thing that I'm doing right now? Well, today we're going to walk with Paul through the final leg of his second missionary journey. After this, by the way, we're going to take a break from Acts uh, for uh, six weeks or seven weeks or so as we walk through some passages in the Old Testament, the Old Testament covenants that God makes with his people as a way to prepare us for Christmas, Uh, and then we'll start back in the rest of the book of Acts. We'll finish it between uh, January 2nd and Easter. So we're going to eventually get through this book, but a break coming up for a little bit after this. But in this book, we have seen that, remember, right after Jesus ascends to heaven, or actually right before he ascends to heaven, he tells his disciples that they will be empowered by his Holy Spirit to be his witnesses, to proclaim the gospel, starting right there in Jerusalem, which we basically covered in chapters 1 through 7, and then out to Judea and Samaria which we covered in chapters 8 through 12, and now we've been kind of walking with Paul on his missionary journeys to the ends of the earth, basically chapters 13 through chapter 28. So today we're going to continue to walk, and like I mentioned, we're on the final leg of his second missionary journey. There's going to be a major stop in the city of Corinth, and that's where we're going to spend most of our time. And here's a struggle for me. Well, like I mentioned, part of the struggle was I didn't have much time to prepare. The other struggle was in studying through this, oh uh, man, I lived to chapter 17, so rich. And, I was so, and then I got to chapter 18, and I'm reading through, and I'm seeing, well, it seems like it's kind of what we've seen at every other spot in Acts. Paul goes to a city. Finds a synagogue, preaches the gospel, some believe it, some oppose him, and then he goes to another city. And that's kind of what you have happening here. But there's a couple of things that did eventually stand out as I was walking through there that I think would be hopefully helpful for us as we work on some application of this passage. And we'll get to that here in a moment. We're going to look today at Acts 18, verses 1 through 23. Right now, uh, I'm just going to read verses 1 through 11 while we're standing, and we'll get through all the rest of it as the message goes on. So if you're able to, would you stand? Uh, We need to pray first, uh, and then read the very Word of God. Father, thank You. Thank You that it is Your Spirit who works through Your Word to build up Your church, and that You do that all for Your glory, and so... I pray that um, as the Word is read and then as I preach it, that, that it will hit home. That there will be something useful in it for us today. Whether that becomes clear right now or it becomes clear as we spend some more time in prayer and reflecting on it through the week, as we meet together in our life groups to look more at the application of it for us, I pray that You would accomplish Your purposes now. Um, through your word by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts 18, we'll read verses 1 through 11. Here's God's word. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the Word of God among them. Amen. You can be seated. So, I just divided it up because here's the word that I saw popping out again and again in this passage. And it was this word, stay. And then, at the end, what happens is he goes. So the simple outline for today is this, stay, go. Okay. So we're going to start with the stay portion. It, it starts out by telling us that Paul, as he arrived in this city of Corinth, there's a map, I think, up on the screen here. So he had been in Athens. That's where chapter 17 took place. And you might remember that he left Silas and Timothy to keep doing ministry there while he left and went to Corinth. So now he's in Corinth. It's about 50 miles away from Athens. And he's there doing ministry in this new place where he has not yet taken the gospel. And while he's there, we learn something new about Paul. We knew he was an apostle sent out to preach the gospels both to Jews, the gospel both to Jews and to Gentiles. But now we're also learning that he had a skill that he had some work that he could do in addition. He wasn't just like, you know, the only thing he could ever be was an apostle. Uh, he actually had some skills, unlike your pastor, who like, I don't know what else I would do. Uh, I'm not good at anything. Uh, so, so But he has this skill, right? So his skill is he is a tent maker. And as most of us do, like whatever work you have, you end up having some associations and some friendships with the people that, share your skill or trade, right? So if you're a teacher, you know some other teachers. If, you, if you're, uh, you know, you work in, in the finance world, you know, so if, you're, if you're a farmer, you know some other farmers, whatever it might be. And so Paul is a tent maker. And we haven't heard anything about this yet. Presumably, everywhere he's gone, he's been supported by the believers, But for some reason, which we'll learn later in the book of 1 Corinthians, he gives us a little more information as to why, while Paul is in Corinth, he decides he needs to be bivocational. He's not just going to preach the gospel there, but he's going to go back to his old trade, his skill of making tents. And in doing so, he finds some other tent makers, and these guys had just been a husband and wife pair who had been kicked out of Rome. And they've landed now in Corinth. So Paul is going to have an opportunity to do some work, to make some tents uh, with these guys. By the way, that is still kind of a common thing, uh, not just in other parts of the world, but even here in the United States, many pastors who serve a church do that kind of part-time while they're also serving in some other jobs. So gaining an income in another way uh, as well. Bivocational is what we usually call it. Paul didn't always do it, but here, that's what he is doing. We saw that in verses 1 through 3. So Paul stays with some fellow tent makers. But then in verses 4 to 6, we see that Paul starts doing ministry in the synagogue, and he stays doing that ministry in the synagogue until he just can't anymore. So look at verses 4 to 6. In verses 4 to 6, we see Paul doing what he's done before. He's reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath. He's seeking to engage their minds. He's not just reading the Scriptures. He's reasoning with them, helping them to understand what's there, trying to persuade them of something. And he's trying to persuade both Jews and Greeks who are there in the synagogue. Thankfully, Silas and Timothy, he had sent for them. Now, when they show up, he can give himself more full time to doing the ministry of the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ, their awaited and promised Messiah, their anointed one, their king, he's like, you don't have to wait. You've been waiting and he's come. His name is Jesus and that's his message to them. And as we've seen pretty much everywhere else he goes, there's opposition to that message. So in verse 6, they opposed and reviled him. And you see just the heart of Paul which we're going to continue to see as we read this book and as we read his letters. God's purpose is that the message of the gospel goes to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. And and Paul, over and over again, goes to the synagogue, tries to get the message across to the Jewish people, but many of them are rejecting, not just Paul, they're rejecting Jesus as the Messiah. And Paul uh, loves his people and he can't seem to give up. It seems like he's going to, but uh, you know he's not. So maybe in frustration, he shakes out his garments, which is kind of a, a response of rejection, and says to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. He's like, I've done everything I can. I'm sitting here week after week reasoning with you, and you just refuse to believe what the scriptures say. And so he's just like, Fine, your blood be on your own head. I'm innocent. I'm washing my hands of this. I'm going to go to the Gentiles. He's going to go back to synagogues too. He can't give up. He loves his own people too much. But he will shift some of his ministry, certainly towards the Gentiles. Now, Paul is kind of forced because of those who are opposing and reviling him to leave the synagogue. He's no longer welcome to take some time when the believers are gathered in the synagogue uh, to to, to preach. And so he leaves, and he basically kind of starts what we see as, well, maybe the first house church, or maybe it's not the first. And interestingly, the house that he meets in is right next door to the synagogue. That's kind of convenient, right? Uh, So it's right next door to the synagogue. We read that in verses 7 and 8. Found the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God house was next door to the synagogue and then we hear of another conversion in fact it's the ruler of the synagogue named Crispus who believes in the Lord together with his entire household and many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized so the church begins to be planted and take root and grow there in the city of Corinth now A couple of notes about the city of Corinth, Um, if I was teaching the letter of 1st and 2nd Corinthians. So so Paul uh, got to know these people well enough that while he's in other places, he's writing letters back to them that we have in the Bible as 1st and 2nd Corinthians. One thing you learn about Corinth, not just from those letters, but from other history as well, is Corinth was a place uh, kind of notable for how sinful it was. Okay, so almost like a Las Vegas kind of place, right? That, that, there's kind of this, this understanding, like, hey, what happens in, in Vegas stays in Vegas. That's a place where, where sin happens, right, of all sorts of kinds. Corinth had a reputation something like that in that part of the world at that time in history. And so that's the place where Paul is doing ministry. You can imagine not maybe the most desirable place to hang out for a while, but... And you know Paul's ministry, he's kind of a pioneer missionary, right? He's going to go to places where the gospel hasn't been preached. And he preaches the gospel, raises up churches, establishes leaders, and then he goes to another place. And then he goes to another place. Sometimes he comes back, but he never stays for all that long. But look at what it says. Did you hear it as I read it in verses 9 through 11 there? As Paul, probably wondering, how long am I supposed to stay in this place? He gets something most of us don't get, a vision straight from God. The Lord speaking to him, verse 9, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid. Okay, so the first thing that the Lord has to say to Paul is, Do not be afraid. Why would he be afraid? Well, there's all sorts of people that are opposing and reviling him. Remember the kinds of things that happened to Paul in other cities. He has been beaten and imprisoned. And so he's told here, though, don't be afraid but go on speaking and do not be silent, okay? That would be one way he could protect himself is by closing his mouth and not proclaiming the gospel anymore. But the Lord is telling him, don't be afraid and keep on speaking. Verse 10, for I am with you. Here's the reason. Here's why Paul doesn't have to be afraid even though many are opposed to him. I am with you. I bet that was comforting, don't you suppose? For Paul to hear those words from the Lord. For I am with you. And in this case, now this hasn't always been the case, but this time, no one will attack you to harm you. God doesn't always promise that to his people. right? We, we know he doesn't always promise that to Paul. But in this city, God promises that Paul, you, they will not attack you to harm you. And then the other reason that Paul, we're going to hear in verse 11, that Paul chooses to stay. He can stay because God is with him and because of this. Listen to this promise. For I have many in this city who are my people. Therefore, look at verse 11, And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Interesting maybe to note while he was here in Corinth that's probably when he wrote the letters 1st and 2nd Thessalonians okay so he was there long enough to write letters to churches where he had already, remember he'd already been to Thessalonica uh, now he's writing letters back to them he's staying here in Corinth for a year and a half which was long for Paul a pioneer missionary like he was why did he stay Because God promised he was going to be with him. And because God told him, I have many in this city who are mine. You could look around Corinth and say, oh man, this place is a mess. I'm out. But instead, Paul stays because God has made it clear to him that there are many in this city who are his. Some might argue that the doctrine of predestination makes missions and evangelism less important because, well, God's already chosen those who will save. I would say that's wrong. In fact, the fact that God has chosen some in this city, that some there belong to Him, is precisely why Paul stays there to preach the gospel in that place. Because the means by which God will save those whom He has chosen is through the preaching of the gospel. And so, in a place that wouldn't have been the most comfortable place for a believer to be, Paul stays for a year and a half, 18 months. That's what we read already. Now let's continue on uh, with the rest of the passage. Paul stays even in the face of intimidation. So Luke is going to tell us of an instance that happened at some point while Paul was there in Corinth. In verses 12 to 18, here's what it says. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves, I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them out from the tribunal. We've seen this before as well, right? The Roman authorities are just saying, listen, (laughs) that sounds like like a... a little squabble within your own little sect, right? And right now, you kind of see there wasn't much of a distinction historically at that point between Jews and Christians. It's just like, oh, it's, it's you guys, right? Okay? So, you, just, you take care of that yourself. Like, I don't know much about your law. I don't want I got other things to do, right? You guys figure that out on your own. Parents, you've probably used that line with your kids before, Um when every issue is like this huge, and they're just like, ah, you know what? You guys, you guys work that out, right? And that's really the response of the proconsul there in Corinth. You, you guys just work that out. Verse 17, here's how they work it out. <laughs> might sound like your house as well. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. You know, that's not unlike what persecution looks like for brothers and sisters in Christ in other parts of the world today. It's not always government-sanctioned persecution that our brothers and sisters in Christ face. But oftentimes it's the government deciding to turn a blind eye and say, you guys do whatever you want. In this case, Galileo is watching what's happening. Like, all right, that's how you want to deal with it. So Paul stays, even in the face of intimidation. And just as God promised, in this case, Paul is not harmed. Right? Paul is not harmed. So Paul stays for a long period of time. In fact, if you look at the beginning of verse 18, it says this. After this, Paul stayed, there's that word again, many days longer, and then took leave of the brothers. Okay? So, so this is happening, yet Paul stays. So Paul stays, but now, as we continue in verse 18, Paul is going to go. So here's point two of the outline. Very simple outline, remember. Stay and go. Now Paul is going to go. So after this, Paul stayed many days, verse 18, and then took leave of the brothers, and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. So it's telling us of his ultimate destination. Remember, Antioch had become like the home base for missions, and he's heading back there. That's in Syria, right? If you want to put the map up there, um, he's in Corinth. He's on his way. I even, It's not even on the map. It's a long journey that he's going to take, but he's on the road again. Let's continue in verse 19. Well, I didn't even finish 18. Let's finish 18. And he set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. So his tent maker friends who had been kicked out of Rome and were living in Corinth are now coming with him on this journey. At Centre, he had cut his hair for he was under a vow. Well, that's an interesting detail, isn't it? He got a haircut, (laughs) you know? Uh, Well, that, Okay. Um, What's that about? Well, it says, for he was under a vow. We don't know much more than what it says right there, except for that there were a number of different Jewish vows that had some requirements for hair length and that kind of thing. And presumably, because Paul knows he's headed back to a more heavily Jewish populated area, he's going to do something, some sort of vow that he has made, cutting his hair and so... The only thing I can think of is in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says to the Corinthians, to the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. Of course he's Jewish uh, by background, but now his identity is in Christ and so but he's desiring to reach Jewish people and so to the Jews he becomes like a Jew to win the Jews, right? So he gets a haircut and then he moves on. It says in verse 19, they came to Ephesus and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue. And again, here we have that reasoned with the Jews. Remember he said last time the Jews were rejecting him. He's like, ah, your blood be on your own head. I'm innocent. I'm going to the Gentiles. Well, he gets to a new city. Where does he go? Back to the synagogue again, right? He so wants his Jewish brothers to hear the gospel and believe it so he goes there when he gets to Ephesus reasoned with the Jews verse 20 when they asked him to stay there's that word again for a longer period he declined verse 21 but on taking leave of them he said I will return to you if God wills and he set sail from Ephesus so now he's moving on we will see when we get to Paul's third missionary journey, when we start that in January, that Paul will indeed go back to Ephesus. If you have headings in your Bible, what does the heading maybe say above chapter 19? Paul in Ephesus. So it does seem that God does will that he goes back there, but at the present moment, he just makes a quick stop doing a little bit of ministry there in Ephesus and then moving on. Now, in verses 22 and 23, he gets us over a lot of miles really, really quick. Because if you look at the map there, remember he started in Corinth, he made it to Ephesus across the Aegean Sea, now kind of on what is modern-day Turkey. And now, in verse 22, he's going to get us really far, lots of miles in just a short little bit. Verse 22, when he had landed at Caesarea he went up and greeted the church. So he lands at Caesarea. You see where that is? Way down in the bottom corner of the map. And then it says, he, what does it say? How did it say it? He went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. Um, Most people believe that Paul there went to Jerusalem for a short visit because he doesn't say went to visit the church in such and such a city because in many ways, still the hub and the birthplace of the church there in Jerusalem would have been likely a stop. If he's that close to Jerusalem, you know, presuming Peter's still there, a number of the other apostles still there, James still there. So more than likely, when it says he went up to visit the church, he went up. That's not, I mean, on the map, you're like, well, that's down. Up in elevation, right? Jerusalem seated higher in elevation. So went up to Jerusalem and then came down to go back to Antioch. So this is where we'll pick it up in January. The start of the third missionary journey, which we actually see in verse 23. After spending some time there in Antioch, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. So kind of an intro to what we're going to see in the coming weeks, starting in January, as we walk with him through his third missionary journey. So as I mentioned in the beginning, we we got from one place to another. In some ways, uh, the the book of Acts reads like a travelogue. Here's where he went, here's what he did, then he went here, then he did this. But remember, underneath all of that, it is the story of how Jesus' work is continuing through believers who are empowered by the Holy Spirit and proclaiming the gospel in all these places. This is work that God is doing through Holy Spirit-empowered believers. But when I studied this and saw that repetition of the word stay and stayed, and we learned for the first time of Paul's tent-making skills, those were things that stuck out to me from this passage. Well, that's different. That's unique. And so I saw an opportunity for us to ask some big questions about staying or going as we look at how God led Paul to both stay and go. Okay? So here's four big questions about staying and going. Number one what skills has God given me for the good of others in advancement of the gospel? That's what we saw right away in verses 1 to 3. We didn't need to know about it before, but all of a sudden now we know that Paul is a tent maker. He has a skill. He has work that he can do that's very, very practical because do people need the gospel? Yes. Do people need tents? Yes. Right? So, so he can Not just meet the need of proclaiming the gospel, but also of providing tents. And in this case, like I mentioned, if you would go to the letter he wrote to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians, in chapter 9, he makes kind of a big deal about this. About that while he was there, he didn't take anything from them. And he lets them know, listen, it's okay for workers of the gospel to receive, to make a living from working for the gospel. Because that seems to be what he does everywhere else he goes. But he made a decision, and we don't know totally why, that while he was in Corinth, it would be better there for him to make his own income by making tents as he did the work of ministry for that year and a half in Corinth. Okay. In Colossians 3, Paul encourages the church there. I think I have it on the screen. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So here's a question for you. What skill has God given you? What work has God given you to do? Even if you say, well, I'm retired, so vocationally I'm, I'm retired from it. But what, what skill has God given you? What work has God given you to do? Maybe you're like, well, I'm too young. I don't have a job yet. What skill has God given you? What work has God given you to do? Maybe right now your work is to be a student, right? Because you're in middle school, because you're at the elementary school, you're at the high school, you're a college student. What skill has God given you? People need the gospel for sure. But people need all sorts of other things. Right? And so so not everybody is first and foremost or only a gospel worker. God's given all sorts of different people, all sorts of different gifts and skills and passions that you can use that. Working heartily is for the Lord and not for men in a way that brings honor and glory to Him. In a way that serves the good of others. That's part of why God has us work. We do our work for the good of others. Right? I'm just looking out here and I could use all sorts of examples because I know what a lot of you do for work. And I could just, you know, just point stuff out. But then some of you would feel bad because I pointed you out and some of you would feel bad because I didn't point you out. So I'm not going to point anybody out. But lots of different jobs, right? And God can use those things that we might serve others and we can use those things to develop relationships like Priscilla and Aquila with Paul for the good of sharing the gospel. So are you working as God created you to work? Maybe your work gets you an income, maybe not. But let's do our work heartily as working for the Lord, working for the good of others, and for the advance of the gospel. All right, question number two. Where has God placed me for the good of others and advancement of the gospel? Where did God put you to do his work? In many cases, you live where you live because of the work that God has given you to do. Right? That's why my family moved nine years ago to Iowa Falls because of this job, right? This, this work that I was called to do in this place. Many of you, you've also made a move from one location to another because of the work that God has given you to do. Our hope is that we stay here as long as God wills in order that we can use our skills for the good of others and the advancement of the gospel. And He doesn't just do that with pastors, Right? So what if you paused this week? I know it's busy. What if you paused this week, looked around you this week, and and acknowledged that what we just read in Acts 17 is true? That the God who made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth has determined allotted periods and boundaries of our dwelling place. (laughs) Like God has you doing the work you're doing in this place at this time on purpose. Right? We believe in a God who is sovereignly, actively at work in the world. You are here now, not just by chance because you threw out your resume and this is the place you happen to end up. God has you in this place at this time for a purpose. So it's good to ask the question where has God placed me for the good of others and the advancement of the gospel? Question number three How can I stay for the good of others and advancement of the gospel? I mean, God has you here for now. How long does He want you to stay? Maybe you love living here. Maybe you find it really hard to live here. Should you stay? Should you go? Let me just say this. It's hard is not always a good reason to go. Sometimes it's hard is a good reason to stay. Corinth would not have been an easy place for Paul to do ministry. But God made it clear, listen, I'm with you. (laughs) Right where you're at, I'm with you. Don't be afraid. Keep speaking my word right where you're at. I have you here on purpose, right? There's many here in this city who are my people. Your purpose here is clear. So, I get it that it's hard. I get it that there's fear. Whatever. Stay. Maybe... That's a similar word to what God has for us. I love uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, but not the verse that everybody else loves. Uh, I love Jeremiah 29 verses 4. I mean, I like that one too, uh, but verses 4 through 7. By the way, I did at my preaching workshop take out the mug that you gave me last week. We're having a talk. The guy's talking to us about context. He goes, everybody open up the Philippians 4.13. Boom, I put my, uh, my uh, mug on my table. Uh, so thanks for the mug. Um, But in Jeremiah chapter 29, the context is this. God's people have been ripped out of their homes, and they've been put in Babylon. And listen to what God's word through the prophet Jeremiah is to his people in verses 4 through 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. (laughs) Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives, have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. I love that. That's helpful. That's God saying to his people at that time in history, listen, I've got you there on purpose. Build a house. Plant the garden, get married, have babies, stick around. Right? This this is your home. Pray for this city that you live in. Maybe you don't like, maybe it's hard for, pray and stay. Like, just, just pray for this city and seek the welfare of the city. God wants His people to be a light there in Babylon. And I would say the same is true here in our Babylon God may have put you in a hard place, but I have no doubt that he has a purpose for you in it. Instead of asking, how am I going to get out of this? (laughs) Maybe a better question would be to say, how can I stay for the good of others and advancement of the gospel? I'm grateful Paul stayed in Corinth and I bet the church there was glad too. And then the final question is this, when should I go for the good of others and advancement of the gospel? Because sometimes you need to go. Paul eventually did need to go. He stayed in Corinth for a relatively long period of time. But then he goes to Ephesus. And remember what his word was to them when Ephesus was like, hey, you should stay. They invited him to stay in Ephesus. Remember what his word was? No. This is a verse, uh, oh, no, and then, but he added more to it. I will return to you if God wills. That's verse twenty-one, I will return to you if God wills. It's good to make plans, and it's good to submit our plans to God. That's why we sang that song uh, earlier. All glory be to Christ. There's that that uh, word, uh, that that verse in there where we sing. Um, <laughs> I can't remember it. We sing these words. You know, <laughs> you remember singing those words? Uh, no, we sing. We sing uh, in. Uh, in, in, i'm gonna sing i'm not gonna sing the song okay in the second verse hey <laughs> you know what i'm saying it comes from, from from james 4 13 to 15 okay nobody's helping me you're all just laughing at me <laughs> appreciate it church it's not pastor appreciation month anymore we're gonna let him struggle um <laughs> welcome to november pastor James 4:13 to 15 <laughs> Who cares what the song says here's what the word says James 4:13 to 15 Come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring Right yeah tell me what is your life a mist that vanishes at dawn Oh right? here's what it says Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. God has a plan. That's good news. We don't always know it. Right? That's harder news. But here's what we need to do. We, We go make plans. We go where we think God wants us to go. We're reminded of what it says in Psalm 139, that even if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hands will guide me. Even if I make my bed in the depths, even there you are with me, right? Like, you're not going to go somewhere and get away from Him. And wherever we are, whatever we're doing, we submit our lives and ourselves to His good and perfect will. Uh, a few weeks ago, this wasn't very long ago, I quoted out of a book, uh, called Just Do Something, and this actually has been the little book that most of you have taken off the shelf out there. Again, reminder, some books out there that you might find useful for yourself to give to people as gifts, um, they're on a shelf right out there. But I think I even used this exact same quote from this book called Just Do Something, little book I think really helpful on that. Here's the quote. Um, It's up on the screen, so I'll just read it from my notes here. The decision to be in God's will is not the choice between Memphis and Fargo or engineering or art. It's the daily decision we face to seek God's kingdom or ours, submit to his lordship or not, living according to his rules or our own. The question God cares most about is not where should I live, but do I love the Lord with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind? And do I love my neighbor as myself? So, Go marry someone, provided you're equally yoked and you actually like being with each other. Go get a job, provided it's not wicked. Go live somewhere in something with somebody or nobody. But put aside the passivity and the quest for complete fulfillment and the perfectionism and preoccupation with the future. And for God's sake, start making some decisions in your life. Don't wait for the liver shiver. If you're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you will be in God's will, so just go out and do something. I like that because it reminds me, and it's reminded others not to be paralyzed in making decisions. You're not going to go anywhere where God isn't present, and wherever you you go, God intends to use you for the good of others and the advancement of the gospel, just like he did with Paul. So I'm grateful that Paul was willing to stay, and he was willing to go as God led. I'm grateful that God gave him skills that he could use for the good of others and advancement of the gospel. I'm, God that, I'm grateful that God gave him a promise of protection and his presence so that he could stay in a hard place for the good of others and advancement of the gospel. I'm grateful that God provides those things for us. His protection, his presence, and his purpose. That we might do what God has called us to do in the place he's called us to do it as long as God wills it for the good of others and advancement of the gospel. Let's pray. God, we we give ourselves to you. We want to seek your kingdom and your righteousness. We want to trust you then with all other things. So God, thank you that you do promise to give us your presence as we live out your purposes, as we use the gifts that you've given us in the places where you have put us. And God, Please give us what we need to endure as we do our work for the good of others' and advancement of the gospel. We know that it's the gospel that draws us together. And God, just knowing that the gospel wasn't really even clearly laid out in this passage, but it was implied, I just thank you for the opportunity we have now to make that clear as we take communion together. Father, we're grateful to be yours. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to close in.